Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. I'd like to try and wrap up the topic of self-esteem tonight. Uh, we'll see how we do. I try to condense it and leave up the parts that I don't think are so incredibly important. But I just wanted to read you this. So we're heading into Pesach in a couple of weeks. And of course, we all know that the matzah represents the bread of humility, which is the opposite of arrogance. The matzah is not, does not rise. It's a flat bread. And it always represents the idea of getting rid of our ego, which is always compared to the chametz, right? That's why we're busy taking, getting rid of every crumb of chametz. So, you know, one of the questions the rabbis ask is, why do we have to get rid of the chametz? Why can't we just eat matzah? You know, clean our houses and then sit down and eat the matzah. What is with this whole preparation of ferreting out any little speck of chametz? So the idea is, is that it's not just a physical exercise, it's really a spiritual exercise. Because while you're busy looking for the chametz, what you're really trying to do is find the chametz within yourself. That part of you which doesn't allow God in, that is too full of itself, you know, too raised up to be able to allow God in, which is always represented by the negative character trait called gaiva, ga'ava, which means arrogance. Um, and so that's what the, so we all know it says this matzah that we eat, what is the reason for it? It's because there was not time for the dough of our ancestors in Egypt to become leavened, to rise. And basically it says here that the Zohar explains, and you've probably heard this before, that the difference between chametz and matzah, the letters are the same, except for the hay and the chet. I need a paper to demonstrate. One second, let me do it. I can do or a pen. You know what? Just give me a pen. Okay, so we've got the hay and the chet, and the word matzah and chametz. For those who you have you okay, right? Matzah and chametz have the same letters. Mem tzadik hay. And chametz is mem sadik ches. So the letters that are different are the hay and the chet. But they're not really that different because if you just take the letter hay and you go up just a little bit like that, what you create is the letter chet. So when does matzah turn into chametz? When it's, when it rises, right? When bread is risen, it turns into chametz, which always represents ego and arrogance. But what I didn't know is that that little hay, right, in Hebrew, you can read the letters in other ways. For example, a hay is really a dalid and a yud. So when the yud, which is the um, the yud within the dalit, so dalit is the letter which always means a poor man. Okay, dalit is the man who realizes that he is poor and that he has nothing without the yud. The Yud always is represented by Hashem, right? One of Hashem's names is a double Yud. Yud is, is represented by Hashem. So how does he stay humble without getting inflated with arrogance? By realizing that it is Hashem who makes him what he is. Okay? 
But if he inflates himself with arrogance, then what happens is the yud stretches itself up and becomes a vav. And the hay becomes a ches, and the matzah becomes chametz. Isn't that nice? So if ever we feel our ego expanding with arrogance, we must quickly allow Hashem to appear before us. The dough is about to become leavened and must quickly be baked. And when we do that, we will merit to hasten the redemption. Soon in our days. Okay, so that is the idea. And last week we were talking about this idea about Hashem wearing the clothing of arrogance. So actually, somebody asked me where that comes from. So we actually say it in the davening every Friday night. We say, Hashem malach ge'ut lavesh. Right? Hashem is the king who wears uh, ga'ava. Okay, what does that mean, though? So, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. So what does that mean? So we told the story of the Nazir, who a uh, rabbi came over to him and asked him, you know, why is it that you decided to become a Nazir? And he said, well, I looked at myself in the water and I saw a reflection of myself and I was so overcome by my beauty that I realized that this could lead to no good and therefore I took on these laws of Nazirut. And I said to myself, he said to himself, Russia, why are you so proud of a world that is not yours? And he realized that everything he is and everything he has comes from Hashem and that this world is fleeting. So why is he attributing this positive attribute that he has, like we were saying, to himself and not, which is what we're supposed to do, attributing everything we have and are to Hashem. So since Hashem is the source of all good things in this world, whatever we have, it's really Hashem's clothing and not our clothing because everything goes back to Hashem. And I was thinking, you know, Hashem can wear the clothing of Gaiva, so to speak, because Hashem is the source of everything, and Hashem is the only one who is defined as the one who creates something from nothing. There was nothing, and then Hashem made a world. We, on the other hand, as human beings, can only create yesh miyesh, something from something. So anything that we take credit for, when it comes to those positive things, whether it's good looks, or money, or any of those things that people tend to pride themselves over, it's not really yours. It's something from something. You took it from something, and that something always goes back to Hashem, who is the only one who deserves, so to speak, to be have gaava, and only because, again, He is the only one who can create something from nothing, which distinguishes us from Him. So, the idea again is that Hashem lends me my assets for the purpose of my using them. They're really His and they're not mine. Okay, I want to talk about something else because, oh, you know what, I'll just put this in here too because I like this too. This is brought down in the uh, Igeris HaRamban, the letter that the Ramban, Nachmanides, wrote to his son before dying all about the wisdom of how to live your life. And one of the things that he says is a person should not be haughty about his wealth because who gave you your wealth? You shouldn't be haughty about your wisdom because Hashem is the one who gave you the capacity to be wise. Anybody who glorifies himself over these things, beauty, wisdom, wealth, intelligence, 
It's, it's a false type of glorification of self because it's Hashem who gave you these things. Okay? Um, Okay, I want to flip ahead a little bit, and it, we can always go back if we end up having more time. But I really like these ideas, and I've never taught them before, and so I want to get to them. Okay, so, in the Masilis Yasharim, which in English is called The Path of the Just, it was written by a rabbi, uh, Moshe Chaim Lutzato, who we call the Ramchal, who lived in Amsterdam and was actually put in harem during his lifetime. He was excommunicated from the Jewish community at the time. That's a whole nother story, but today everybody studies his works. A lot of boys in yeshiva, the first thing they study in the morning when they wake up is a half an hour of musar, which is what we're studying, which is character development. And many, very often, this is one of the classic works that they will study in yeshiva. Okay, so in the Masilah Yesharim, it tells us that there are certain types of gaiva, there are five different prototypes of gaiva, of arrogance, okay? And that certain people are more vulnerable to ga'ava. For example, particularly the smart, the wealthy, and the beautiful. Anybody who has an outstanding aspect to themselves, anybody who has an EST superlative that they are described with, right? the best, the greatest, the fastest, the cutest, the whatever it is, can be more prone towards ga'ava. And this is the kind of person who might be very careful about how they walk, how they present themselves, they watch out who they're sitting with, you know, they can't just sit with anybody, they've got to sit with the right people, they've got to be associated in other people's minds with the right kind of people. Right? And you know, I always like to tell that joke that I like to tell when I'm uh, teaching about arrogance. But there was once, I think it was actually a Jewish guy, his name was Samuel Goldwyn. He was a movie maker from the MGM movies. So they tell a story that he happened to be a very arrogant person. And he was once on a talk show and the interviewer was interviewing him. And you know, he was talking on and on about himself. And then finally, in the middle of the interview, he actually stopped, this Samuel Goldwyn, and he turned to the interview and he said, you know what, a lot, enough about me. Let's talk about you. So what do you think of me? Enough about me, more about me. Enough about me, now you talk about me. Right, enough about me, now you talk about me, exactly. So supposedly that's where it came from, but who knows. Okay, so these five categories of gaiva. So the first person is called the narcissistic type. He carries himself with great importance. He only talks to people he deems are very important. He's careful to dress with a certain importance. He'd never go out of the house without his shoes shined and his, let's just say, his tie neatly and his hair nicely coiffed or hers, okay? He eats with importance and there's a certain substance to him. He has a certain, so to speak, kavod, which comes from the word kaved. There's a certain heaviness to him, substance. And he takes himself very seriously. Okay, and that's the first type. Now, somebody like this, she gives the example. Um, 
you know, they don't shop at regular stores. They need to shop at high-end stores. They'll only eat at high-end restaurants. And everything that this person does is reflecting his importance. And anything that's beneath that level of importance that he believes he is, is pasnished. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not good enough. It's not worthy of him. So she gives the example because she's a teacher in a seminary with a lot of girls of all types in Michlala, which is a, you know, famous cemetery, uh, seminary in Israel. Excuse that Freudian slip. Um, and, uh, she says somebody like this, the dormitory situation is going to be murder for them. You know, it's your turn to take out the garbage, honey. Well, I'm sorry, I don't do that. I don't do garbage. Never did garbage, never going to do garbage. It's beneath me. I remember my daughter-in-law, who was a uh, head counselor at Camp Aguda, told me a story like that about they were going on a camp trip, and the counselors went in a car, and the rest of the kids went on a bus. And there was one girl in her cabin that refused to go on the bus to the point that she was having a temper tantrum because she she couldn't lower herself for whatever reason. Maybe it was like a, a really cruddy bus. I don't know what. Maybe they had no air conditioning. She couldn't go on it because she wasn't used to that. She was This, this was the same girl, she said, whose mother would come to camp the first day and make her bed and put all her clothing neatly in her closet. And you know that... <laughs> Helicopter. helicopter, more than helicopter, more than snow than shovel, they call it, right? Clears the path. Curling <laughs> mom. That's a new one. The curling oh, mom, curling. that's what they oh, call it in England. The mother now. who's sweeping oh, the ice to make sure that the curling ball just goes perfectly, right? So this is the way she was raised. This is the way she was treated. And so she couldn't help herself but have this narcissistic tendency of, this is pusnish, me. And they actually had to let her into the car. Because it was, yeah. Because it was beyond belief. Okay? Um, now, this kind of uh, behavior, anything that they'll do, anything that reflects their importance, okay? Um, this gava, this gava, this arrogance, usually is a compensation for a tremendous lack of self esteem. Can we see, understand this? How a person needs this and can, you know, they can't. You know, it's like that story in the Gemara of the woman who was very wealthy and very coddled, and then during the time of the destruction of the temple, she actually died because she had to walk barefoot on the cobblestone roads while everyone else was also, you know, you can imagine in the Holocaust, something like that, and she couldn't take the depravity and the, because she'd been raised in such a, you know, isolated, perfect little bubble of a world that she wasn't able to handle that. So... Whatever whatever scenario you could put to it, I imagine it was the same type of idea that the Gemara was bringing down. Um, but anyway, so this comes from a lack of self-esteem. The Baal Gaiva often has a deflated sense of self, but an inflated presentation to compensate for their low sense of self. Now this could be based on developmental arrest, that at a certain point, a person who develops into an adult like this stops developing. He's a baby in the way he perceives himself. The baby has to get everything first. The baby always has to be the center of attention. What happens in normal human development is you begin to understand as you grow older that you're not the center of the universe. 
but there are children who don't get this as easily, right? The teacher never calls on me, but this could be the kid that's getting called on just as much as everybody else is getting called on. But their perception is the teacher never calls on me, right? Or always, right? They maybe use words like always and never because everything is blown out of proportion. If you don't get past this stage, you can continue to behave as if you're the center of the world, right? Everybody understands this? Psycholo it could be connected to being psychologically neglect, neglect as a baby. And they need, the need for this attention is because they didn't get it as a child. So therefore they will go to great lengths to prove they are special. And this is the psychological piece of the narcissistic personality. And then he says, she says there's the opposite. A person becomes narcissistic, like that example I gave of the girl at camp, because she had too much parental input. She was given too much. She was the most beautiful, the most perfect, the one who could do no wrong. Oh, see, I wrote down head counselor at Abby's camp. And uh, she couldn't go on the bus. She had to ride in the taxi. Yeah. Maybe she was already a counselor. You know what? I think she might have been a counselor, but she was supposed to ride on the bus with the kids. And only the head, that's what it was. Only the head counselors were allowed to go in the car meaning the, the unit heads, and she insisted that she's not going with the kids. She can't get on that bus. That's what it was. That makes more sense. Okay. Um, I had a friend who had a mother very much like that. She always told me, and I, to me it was like, really? <laughs> My mother never did anything when I went to camp. I didn't get any can. Whatever. Some people came with that trunk, you know, that you were halishing over. You'd pay them anything for a piece of salami. We had Yitz's deli guy, you know, at camp. I went to a co-ed camp. You know, he had this trunk that smelled like salami and pastrami that lasted for some reason the whole camp season. You know, but what did we get? I remember my husband always tells me, you know, he asked his mother if she could send some shirts and some, some, uh, some, uh, um, what you got? Joke books or cartoon books? Comic, 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 comic books. Comic books. Sorry, because you know everybody was getting them. So what does he get? He gets all the old ones from his room that he's read <laughs> six hundred times, <laughs> and a couple of old shirts, right? That he didn't bring because he didn't like them, you know. But meanwhile, my friend told me that her mother, whose her her birthday always came out in the summer at camp. And she would always be horrified and be dreading the day of her birthday because literally she said she'd walk into the dining room and the entire dining room would be decorated, even though her mother was in Brooklyn, okay? It would be decorated. There would be balloons with her name on it. There would be a, be a huge birthday cake for the entire camp. Everybody would be singing happy birthday, Faggy, whatever, right? And she was horrified. You know, but this was the kind of, you know, mother that you could picture just goes beyond to make sure that her little girl knows that she is the center of the universe. So it can be a problem. Okay. Uh, this is the type of person. And again, you know, it's tough to be a good parent because if you give your kids too little, it creates problems, and if you give them too much, it creates problems. So finding that balance is very difficult. And, of course, each kid is different in terms of what they need. Every kid is different. Right. Some kids need more attention. Some kids need to have nicer clothing because they notice it and they feel important in it and they need it for their sense of self-esteem. 
right? So, uh, you know, a good parent is aware of that. But these kind of people that I'm describing, we usually have a lot of disdain for these kind of people. You know, they're the kind of people who are always late because everybody should wait for them. They want to make a big entrance when they come in. Okay, there are people who do have time management issues. Okay, we call that a disability. But there are people who dafka always have to be late so that when they come in, everybody knows we can't start until so-and-so gets here. And this way I'm getting all the attention on me. Do you have friends like this who are always late? It doesn't matter, you know, and you tell them, set your watch ahead, do this, do that. No, because there's a certain underlying unconsciousness of wanting to be late in order to get that attention. Um, and you know what? These people live with a very high level of stress because they feel they're always performing. They're always in a play that never ends, and they're exhausted from the performance of having to look perfect, be with the right people, eat at the right places, etc., etc. It's an exhausting type of thing to keep up. Okay. Now, they live in an emotional straitjacket. It's very hard for them to be who they really are. And when you give them a compliment, it's like giving a poor person a penny. Penny. Like giving a, the penny won't solve the person's problem. Compliments won't solve the narcissist's problem. So all you can do with a person like this is have compassion on him or her, okay? And she says, you see this with teenagers. It could be a personality disorder if it continues into adulthood. Teenagers are extremely self-centered just by definition of being a teenager. Everything's all about me, right? And we all, according to Dina Schoonmaker, live in a generation which is saturated with narcissism. It's just part of the society that we live in to the degree that the DSM manual, which lists all of the psychological disorders, has removed it. It was in there. There was something called a narcissistic personality type. It was a mental illness. They have removed it because they say everyone has it today. The selfies, the the technology, the this is what I ate for breakfast. Everybody's a movie star. Everybody thinks everybody wants to know where I am, what I'm doing, where I went on vacation, who my friends are, who I'm with. And it's all about a a generation that suffers from tremendous low self-esteem, right? Self-esteem is like the big Topic, right? Helicopter mom, curling mom, the fragile generation we talked about. Don't fall down because you might break a bone. Guess what? It might be good for you to break a bone. That bone might actually get stronger from being broken, right? But no, we've got to make the parks different. We've got to change the, that where the slides are. We've got to fix the swings. Hasfashalam, nobody should fall. So this whole mentality, of I, you know, controlling the environment, controlling everything, trying to be perfect, like the poor narcissist who, like we said, lives in an emotional straitjacket and has tremendous stretch, stress, which is also part of the package, right? And is always worried about not being able to control the environment or always looking at ways of controlling the environment is living in a very difficult world of his own. But we live in that world today. It's it's all around us. Uh, 
I think you're 100% right to the point where it's almost that it's so normal to be narcissistic and all the kind of people you think you need to look up to or the cool people or the popular people or whatever are narcissistic to the point where if you feel you're not carrying on in that way, then there's something wrong you with you. insecure about yourself yeah. because you can't behave that way or it's you don't so want to. It's so true. It's like I'm on a certain WhatsApp. It's like anything anybody does and then shows it, it's like then they get like 20 replies of, awesome, that's great, you're incredible, blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't have any desire to say anything, but I almost feel like you're saying like, there must be something wrong with me. Why is everybody so positive? And I'm just going, who cares? So what if you did that, right? Right, I don't have a one-liner for it. Or whatever. <laughs> or whatever, I just don't even know. I feel like I'm going to say something that's going to sound so awkward. You know, so I'm like writing and then stopping and then erasing it and then going, what am I doing? I don't have, do have time, time for this, <laughs> right? But it's like, it's incredible. There is really like a very strong push for that. I just thought of something, but it flew out of my mind. I guess there was a reason for that. But it was, oh, I mean, it's a personal thing. It's an interesting thing. They're having a challah bake, for example, uh, tomorrow. But my sister, I have to tell you, was totally humiliated by the whole thing because she had no idea... First of all, they already had the challah bake planned weeks and weeks ago before word came out that my sister isn't well. But what they did is they asked her if she wants to be on the prayer list of the people they're going to pray for. So she said yes, thinking that she's going to be on a prayer list with lots of other people who are also needing tefillahs. Instead, what happened is the person who organized it, and the person said to her, can we use your English name? And she thought that was weird. She said, well, why would you use my English name? Like, you always pray for people with their Hebrew name. No, just use my Hebrew name. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to her, and not to blame anybody because it was good intentions, really, unbeknownst to her, without her even getting a copy to see and okay, they sent out a new flyer of this chalabek, and now in the center of the flyer is my sister's name, that the whole evening now is about praying for her and others. And my sister said, I am so humiliated. To anybody who knows me knows that she is the most modest person. She said, my, my name is like up in lights. It's like a marquee. Like, what makes me a better sick person than everybody else on the list? Why are they making me the center of attention? And the truth is, is because they, if they had used her English name, they wanted to specifically to bring in lots of people because that's, that's a successful program, right? Especially wow. with that mentality, wow. right? That the more people we get here, the bigger the success, the more we can say, we brought people in. And so, you know, my sister was saying, I feel like I was used. I was being used. Did she tell used. them? Did she, tell them? she did tell them. But you know Actually, what? they changed it. And I they changed. Saw, no, because she was on the phone with no, me at this, midnight saying, I Deb, I would, this is worse her. to me than my illness. What did they do? The, she was this, so, she goes, and what about the Robinson who's been, and why me all of a sudden? And what is this all about? And this is sick. I didn't get her name on it. Right? Do you get it? So any, and she was saying, I want to move back to St. Catherine's. Yeah, this is a crazy. City. I got this and she said, I'm dying of humiliation here. And I had to tell her, you know, it's a kapara. It's out of control now. We can't do anything about it. No, they changed it. They what did you say? I just the reason this. they changed it is because that night I sent the person. I said, do not send out any more flyers with my sister's name on it. 
Do not put anything out with her in the center of it. She is humiliated and, 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 and she's mortified. And it's private. And not just that, her kids don't even, her kids think she's got something not so big. And it's like wildfire. And it's spread like wildfire. Do you know who Rifka Gittel is? Oh, it's her. You know, you wouldn't believe. I mean, I'm scared to go there. My sister's joking with me. She said, you're going to go, and you're going to come back with one limb pulled off the side. <laughs> I mean, everybody's going to be coming over and asking me everything. I mean, Jews in a room are curious people, right? And, you know, my cousin, my first cousin and I were talking tonight saying, you know, we're going to have to really just have a set answer and then leave me alone because it's going to be like being trampled at a rock concert. I mean, that's that's really the way and they set the it up. Of La- and s- because, you know, yeah. the intention was not negative. No. But still, you don't do that. Because look you at don't. All the different things that and my sister's it. a business person. She said, in business, you would never send out anything without first okaying it with the person. If she had sent that to my sister, my sister said, what is this? I thought I'm on a list with... And we're going to pray right. for others. And, and now people, you can imagine the, the emails and the texts after this came out, right? People were saying, gee, I was already signed up for that Chalabek a few weeks ago. I had no idea it was all about you. So I was also under the impression that this Chalabek was, was being created for her. Okay. And now I find out, no, it was already a program. And then they just made it so that they'd get masses. Right. So anyway, listen, not, and they, and my sister talked to the person and they worked it out and it was totally non-intentional. But again, it's a little bit of a schmack of that no privacy generation, of that no sensibility or sensitivity that why would a person want this advertised? But you know, you'll be famous. You'll have your, you'll have your moment of fame. You know, we'll just spread it around. And so it's, I think it's a good example of how we've just gotten off track because we're also narcissistic and we think everybody else is. Buildings, right? Because if, you know, X, Y, and Z are on the building, then other people will donate and okay, everybody that, has a That's way a little bit different. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's a little bit different. That, that's the way Jews get to make other people give, which sometimes oh, we, 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 we do, uh, you know, we in the olden days they always announced the pledges because yeah. they wanted people to feel guilty and embarrassed into giving. It's a little bit different, but you know, whatever. I hear the idea. We don't want so to be out there. No, I'm just saying no. So you know, no. At this point, yes, you know, go. I'm not telling anybody not to go. I'm just saying. My sister just saying she she looks forward to next week when it's all over because who knows. How many people are going to drive her crazy? Is she going? No, God forbid. <laughs> but you know what's going? really... F- no, why would she go? Yeah. Are you kidding? To the holiday? No, why would she go? She's, She's not feeling go. well. She's oh. in treatment. She'd have oh. to go with a mask on oh, her face know. even. She can't be what's in a room. Rivka Gitto Bas Yehudas. But anyway, the point is, is even if she wasn't sick, like, like feeling sick, why would you go? It's like the celebrity is here. Like it's It's scary. Imagine being accosted by five Jews in a room who want to know every single thing about you, let alone 500 or whoever's going to be there. It would be completely overwhelming and, and horrible, mm-hmm. right? Plus the fact that I don't think her kids know that they made this whole thing about her, which would terrify them, mm-hmm. right? Like, why? Like, Rebison Hach has been sick for yes. months. Like, why is it about you, Ima? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on here? Right? Oh, this should all be erased. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Don't 
<laughs> we're gonna, no, I'm not going to send it out. I'm sorry. I'm just sharing it with you just because it, it was upsetting. And it should just be a refuah shalema. Exactly. Okay. So we're going to knock that part out of the I tape. I it. Can you edit it? I will edit it. I, I will edit it. I'll get my daughter to edit it. Okay. Number two type of narcissistic personality is someone who is a control freak. And, you know, I, I mean, I can see myself in all of these people. So, you know, we all have tendencies and we all have places where our arrogance flares up. So this is the person who their arrogance is manifested through anger, right? When does a person get angry? Because they can't control the situation, right? Anger is, you know, I have to control this and if I can't, I'm going to, right? And we talk about anger, that the person who conquers their anger recognizes that it's not about controlling a situation, but staying in control of yourself. Right? Being in control of yourself, even if the situation is not the way you wanted it, or imagined it, or envisioned it to be. So, if you don't get there on time, if you forget something, if you're driving in an annoying way, if you cut me off, I'm going to yell at you. <laughs> we use This person uses anger, though. Listen to this. This is very important. They use anger as a way to intimidate. Everything has to go my way or else. I will use anger to get my way. So this is the angry, controlling Balgaiva. And he actually likes that everyone is afraid of him. So think about the boss at work who enjoys the idea that when the boss is coming, everybody's going, oh, no, the boss is coming. We've got to make sure that we've got everything in order or make sure his coffee's ready or make sure whatever. And that person actually likes the fact that they instill fear and terror in other people because of their incredible ability to get angry, okay? There's a flurry of nervous activity because of this person. Demanding or difficult people, there's such a thing as people who are demanding or difficult. It's not the same thing. This kind of person likes, likes being demanding and difficult because it makes them feel on top of everyone else. We all understand this. It's very simple, right? Um, so the first type of person that we talked about, um, so in this, in this person, gaiva and anger overlap. Okay? It's gotta be my way. It's gotta be my ideas. Everything should shake for me when I come. Okay? Now the first type of person, the person who's just walking around with a lot of self-importance and keeping their image intact, they may not use anger as much because it's actually beneath them. Importance to them is their primary need, that people should see me as important. Okay? But the second type is all about control. Everything has to go my way. Rav Chaim Vital wrote that all people are made up of the four elements, air, fire, water, and earth. And fire is always the representation, obviously, of gaiva and anger, right? We've got the cartoon characters with the red, the steam coming out of their, their things or the fire burning while they're getting angry, right? And the idea of the color red, right? I see red. I get angry. So, um, the, the narcissist who acts snobby might make you feel low. The narcissist might make you feel, you know, 
it's all about my needs, but they don't make you feel bad. Okay. So can you, can't you just be a con control freak without being anger-based? It's pretty hard not to be. Oh, okay. Only because if you're a control freak, it bothers you when things are not going the way, right? right? It's, it sort of goes together with the perfectionistic personality. I mean, maybe you can, maybe you can burn inside and not allow it to go out. But I think anyone who really wants to control things, you know, it's going to be hard to handle when things aren't, or people aren't doing what, right? I think, you know, you see it a lot in homes, right? If you have kids and you're trying to get them to do something and they're not, or your husband, you have certain expectations, right? It's very difficult, you know? It could be less difficult when it's not circle one people, right? That could be what it is. But anyway, um, okay, so that person, right. So let, let, what about the third person, type three narcissistic? He thinks he's so great and honored that he doesn't feel any need to conform to any societal rules. So this is the anti-establishment type of person. He doesn't have to act or dress appropriately. He can do whatever he wants. I'm so respected that nothing I do could ever take away people's respect of me. I can attend a meeting in flip-flops and a dirty sweatshirt if I want to. The billionaire. Yeah, because I don't care what standards are here. I'm not into convention. I can eat in a messy way, and I don't really care what you think of me. Right? So I don't have to prove myself to anyone. To anyone. I'll go in the exit, even though it's not the entrance. I'll go in the exit. I'll break the rules. I'll even make fun of the need to act appropriately. And... Dina Schoonmaker says that our generation as a whole also is very much characterized by this kind of an attitude. She calls it the flip-flop generation. So she says that, you know, it's a paradox because um, the people who used to wear something like a flip-flop were people who couldn't afford anything better than that. But she says That's now better. everyone... Or whatever they're they, expensive now. Flip yeah, I'm saying, but now everyone does it, right? It's like the jeans with the holes all yeah, over yeah. them, right? Like, like they're you know, it's like, it's like, them. it's like the jeans with the like. There's more holes than there are jeans, right? Yeah. And it's all about and and they're, they're very expensive, and the more holes in them, exactly made in the right holy way, right? So, I mean, it's ludicrous. I remember as a teenager, and I did own a pair of jeans, I have to admit, I remember as a, as a, you know, whatever, brazen teenager, I was once sitting in my parents' living room, which was probably supposed to be the nicest room it was, and I probably had my legs on the table, even though that was completely unacceptable. But I was a teenager. I was testing the limits, right? And I still remember my bubby... <laughs> I, I, I'm embellishing this a bit. Maybe it wasn't exactly like this, but I want to embellish it. My Bubby all of a sudden leans over and she says, and I hate this hole in your jeans, and she puts her fingers in the hole and she rips my <laughs> jeans apart so that I'll never be able to wear them. Now today I would have said, thank you. <laughs> You've just made these jeans worth so much more. <laughs> right? But there was a disgust with the fact that you could afford something and you would go around in rags and tattered clothing. 
So forget the flip-flops. I mean, she's obviously not living in America where she's seeing this all the time. You can call ourselves the torn gene generation, right? The generation that flaunts any kind of idea of societal norms, right? And walks around not conforming to any rules or etiquette. Okay? Number four. Anything else about this one that could be funny? Right, so he acts low, and even though he's very wealthy, you see that sometimes with very wealthy people, they couldn't care less about social conformity. Okay, so, um, number, th number four. Number four is the Balgaiva who acts like he's an Anav. Okay, we have to be careful with these kind of people, especially if they're wearing religious garb. Okay, but the Balgaiva acts like an Anav. He acts like he's very humble. So we praise him for being so modest, and we praise him for all of his good attributes, and he wants honor for showing that he's running away from honor. So he's very manipulative and understands the way other people's psyche works, and if he can put on a show of being so humble, oh, no, Penny, you go first. Oh, no, after you. Uh, oh, no, I don't know anything. I mean, well, by the way, you know, I mean, really, I don't know anything, right? The, the point is, is they're always hiding behind this uh, idea of fake modesty. Excuse me, did you notice how modest I am? I'm just, you know, not really, I just want you to notice, right? So she gives an example, you know, politicians or presidents who visit factories with all these low type of people and shake hands with all the low level workers and take pictures with them almost as if like, look at me, you see, I'm with the common folk, right? Like, you know, okay, just an idea like that, right? Um, okay, so those are the four types. Now, the fifth type, the fifth type. Now, the fifth type, she says, many women might be more prone to suffer from than men. And because most women don't suffer from a lot of arrogance, most women, especially today, and we've talked about it in other classes, suffer more from beating themselves up and having low self-esteem, okay? And taking the blame for everything and feeling like it's all my fault. If I would have been a better this, if I would have been a better that, then everything would be good. Then my kids would be like her kids and my husband would be like his husband and I would have done this and then everything would have been fine. But I'm not good enough. I'm just saying that that is a posture that some people live with and take. And um, she says that this is called the internal Balgaiva. The internal Baal always means the master of, right? The one who has mastered this trade. Their Gaiva is buried in their hearts. And though they don't do anything that acts haughty or conceited, in their heart they think they know better. Okay, so we're not talking about the person who beats themselves up and has low self-esteem. We're talking about the person who knows better. I know better. I know better how to raise my kids. Don't tell me how to cook that food because I'm the best cook that there is. 
They're not open to other people's input. They don't listen to other people's opinions. And they never doubt themselves. They're very dismissive internally of other people's ideas. Now, I'm not saying that this has to be you just because you're a woman. A man can certainly be like this. But she says that it's it's more of a tendency maybe for a woman, especially an accomplished woman, you know, to feel like whatever I'm doing is is the right way. I know better. Now, it could be in certain areas that you feel that way and not in others. I'm the best cook. You can't really teach me anything. I'm more religious than you. What have you got to teach me? You know, what have I got, what am I going to learn from you? You don't even, you know, this and you don't even that. So, right? And she says all of the gaivas that we've mentioned have this in common. What do they have in common? That gaiva is a blindness. <coughs> Arrogance creates a blindness where a person doesn't see his weakness. Gaiva makes smart people move backward. It undoes their wisdom, their their intelligence, their chachma. And she said that, that the sad thing is, is that the smarter the person is, the more intelligent a person is, very often they have to deal with a point of diminishing returns, meaning that so much of our intelligence comes from the chachma that we learn from other people. So if you're an internal Balgaiva and think that you're good at everything or you don't need to know anything because you happen to be an extremely smart person or forget about that. Let's just talk about somebody who's extremely intelligent and they've always been intelligent. They're first in the class. You know, they have a really high IQ. They're very intelligent. She said this can actually work against them. Okay? Because the Homer of a person who has a lot of Chachma Maybe it's a gift that was given to them, but they never learned how to take it and make anything out of it, direct it and channel it in the right way. So even though they're smart people, it ends up working against them because they're not willing to learn from anyone else. So she says somebody with a lower IQ may end up to be more successful in life because they're open to learning from other people. These smart people, what happens with smart people, and this is interesting, they just keep recycling the old information. They're not open to new information that didn't come from them. And therefore, they actually lose their intelligence over time because of their arrogance. So they're just recycling what they know. They can't really add new material because it has to come from outside of themselves. And often they just get in a rut of, so she says that um, in Mishle it says the tsenua has chachma, the tsenua meaning the modest person, right? Because why? Because they're not so into themselves. They have humility. So she says, uh, she gives an example because she teaches seminary girls. So she says, you know, the girls get invited to people's homes for Shabbos. And the girl who's very tsenua, who's very quiet, 
she might not be as smart as the per, as the girl who's talking the whole time she's at the table, but she's taking everything in. And she's sitting at the, that table and she's learning about the shalom bayat of the couple that she's at. She's learning about their child-rearing skills. She's learning perhaps about what it's like to live in Israel, right? And she's taking all of this stuff in while the girl who comes there and is maybe more interesting and, you know, can keep the, the table captivated, she's just busy recycling her old ideas and telling everybody what she thinks and what she knows <coughs> and who she is, and she's missing out, so to speak, on all the things that she could gain from just sitting and watching and learning and taking in. And so there's a woman named Carol Dweck who wrote a book called Mindset, and she says the difference, the the relationship between growth and gaiva, arrogance, is very interesting. She says people that are very arrogant, they have what's called a fixed mindset when it comes to growing, and as opposed to a growth-oriented mindset. So they're fixed, meaning, you know, I have certain abilities, and they don't feel that they're going to develop much more in life because they, they don't look for a challenge. In other words, somebody who has an IIQ and might be very intelligent, they're also very intelligent at being able to say, this is what I know, this is who I am, this is how smart I am, and I can't go further than this. I'm very fixed in this, right? I'm not going to try and, you know, I don't believe that if you kill yourself over learning Torah, you can be a Talmud Chacham. I could never be a Talmud Chacham because I know what my, uh, you know, I know what my um, limits are. I know that I'm not good at memorizing, but I am very good at covering, you know, depth. I'm not the deepest mind. So no, there's not going to be a Talmud Chacham here, even though I'm very bright and I might, you know, be able to learn Torah. As opposed to those stories that you hear about people who weren't so gifted intellectually, but because of their hasmada, because of their diligence, because of their desire, because of their rutzon to want to become whatever it was, a great athlete, a Torah scholar, a ballet dancer. They were able to go above and beyond what they thought was their limit because maybe they weren't as smart at, at being able to pigeonhole themselves. And they were foolish enough to think that they might as well try. Or maybe they could. Or maybe God would swoop in and take them the rest of the way, a very Jewish idea, if they would put their all in to the extent that they can, maybe God would take them the rest of the way and their dreams would come true, right? That is not, that is a growth-oriented person as opposed to a fixed person, okay? The fixed person and the growth relate very differently to challenge and failure. The growth-oriented one welcomes it because they want to acquire more. But the Balgaiva doesn't want to learn more doesn't want to go out of their comfort zone, doesn't want to try and fail, because I already told you, I know what I can do and what I can't do. And that can come from too much intelligence, actually, interestingly enough, right? So it's interesting, they said they did a test with children with puzzles, and they saw the difference between a fixed kind of a personality and a growth personality. They said as the puzzles, as they would introduce harder and harder puzzles, 
Some of the kids got very excited about it, and other kids didn't like it at all. And I don't think it was based on IQ because they probably made sure that they were equally intelligent or at least in the same ballpark. Okay, so she says that one of the drawbacks of arrogance is it makes you very fixed in the place where you are. Now, how do we overcome arrogance according to the Ramchal, according to Moshe Chaim Lutzato, the author of The Path of the Just? So we're trying to reach a very high-level Mita, which is one of the last ones in his book, which is split up into gates of sort of rungs of a ladder that a person should ascend to be able to become a whole person. And the Mita of Anava is one of the highest rungs of, of, of developing humility. And again, we don't want to confuse humility, which is a whole, on low self-esteem. You need to have humility, I realize, in order to have good self-esteem, right? It's a prerequisite to being able to develop it from the right place. Okay, again, the anava is, who gave me these strengths and weaknesses? I didn't, I didn't go out and buy them at a store. God gave them to me. They're my raw materia. Why am I taking credit for the good things? And why am I taking credit for the bad things? They're not mine either. God gave them to me. I equally have to acknowledge that this is my package, and now I've got to take the raw materials, both good and bad, and work to develop myself. And that's where my self-esteem will come from, right? Not by taking credit for the things that I was given, for the eyebrows that I have, you know, any more so than, you know, the fact that my teeth were hard and not soft at birth, right? Or I was prone to cavities and not. These are things out of our hands. Okay? So, anava is basic and essential. Anava is very difficult to attain. So the Rav Yeruchim, who was the mashkiach, the spiritual leader at the Mir Yeshiva, gave a mashal. Interesting mashal. He says, if you're invited to a meal and there are many courses, you would eat all the courses, and then you would eat dessert last. But if you happen to be a poor person who wasn't invited to the meal, and you just happened to walk into the wedding hall by chance, and they were already up to the dessert, they would just serve you the dessert, even if you didn't have all the courses beforehand. So he says, another is like the finishing touches. The more you know the more you feel there is to know, right? The more closer you get to Hashem, the more you realize how much, how far away you are. The more rungs you climb, the more you realize how much more there are to climb. And this is what creates anivas. So for example, she gives an example of the balchuva. I had one of these on the phone the other day, and I just was so... It was just so cute because I was probably the same way when I became from. But boy, I mean, I got my whole kitchen clean and all of Shabbos made and I put her on speaker. But she was on fire. <laughs> she was on fire. And even though she's been in the religious world for years, a Russian Jew who sent her kids to a, you know, yeshiva and all her kids became religious and are living religious lives, she's sort of like, almost like at this stage of her life in her 50s, She's just sort of getting it, like getting, like she explained to me, like, I always thought, you know, 
and she happened to belong to my husband's shul when we lived in New York. So he, Rabbi Bale said that, you know, girls and boys shouldn't play basketball in the gym together in the, in the shul because the shul was a whole JCC too, right? And, you know, and all the members would say, oh, well, what does he know? And blah, blah, blah. She goes, and I was, you know, the same way. And then she goes, but now I understand. Like, he had a reason for saying that. He wasn't just being mean because, you know, the Torah says that, you know, that could lead to all kinds of things that we don't want it to have. You know, whatever. It was like, ding dong. You know, but the point is, is she says here, you know, that when the Balchuva starts learning and he learns a little bit of Chumash and he learns a little bit of philosophy and he learns a bit about Navi, he can feel like, wow, I know everything. Right? Because compared to what he knew and compared to what everybody else around him knows, he feels like, wow, they think they can know a lot, even though it's only a little bit of homage, a little bit of Navi. Okay. You are not breaking... Okay. Okay. So it's very important, and we're going to end in a minute. Okay? Or two. Okay. It's very important that... And this is something that everybody knows who studies Musser, and especially when it comes to Gaiva. You're not supposed to go head on and say, okay, I'm very arrogant, that's it. I've got to stop this. I'm going to be humble from now on. You're not supposed to try and break yourself because what will happen is you will end up in a place of despair, a place of depression. Oh, I'm so not good. I'm so, I did it again. I, you know, I interrupted again. I'm such a Balgaiva. I, you know sat in the best seat in the house instead of taking the chair with only three legs. I went and sat in the chair with four legs again. Why didn't I let somebody else have that chair? You know, I started eating before the person that I was supposed to eat with was supposed, you know, wait for them. I don't care how hungry you are, right? That's proper. That shows a certain self-control and a lack of, you know, me first mentality, right? I couldn't get up when you came home because I was enjoying my pro, whatever it is, right? All those things. So, okay, it's true, but you don't want to break yourself. So the exercise is to tell yourself you're a nothing and a gornish, like we said in the yeshiva, right? Look who thinks he's a gornish. He's only been here for a, a day and he's already, you know, calling himself a gornish. You know, that's not a good way to do it. So how do you acquire another without breaking yourself, without making yourself feel bad about yourself. Because a little bit of gaiva is also good, but that's a different topic. Um, so number one, speak in a calm way. When you feel yourself getting angry, try to speak in a lower tone of voice. This is something that's in the Agaris Ramban, right? Always speak in a quiet way. In this way, you will not bring yourself to anger, to out-of-control anger, Right? Anger is always a sign of gaiva. It doesn't matter who it's to, whether it's to the anonymous driver in front of you. Are you looking at me now? <laughs> okay. Sorry. The anonymous driver in front of you. Nobody's going to want to confess anything in my class. I don't forget anything. The best is once I was really mean to somebody, and then they drove into my office. And the end of the class, like, oh, that's I hilarious. Have, yeah, I've learned, like, and yeah, they said, yeah, no, yeah. I don't think I want to do business with you, actually. Right. Oh, that's hilarious. That's a great story. It sounds like a great story. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, it's a sign of... So, another sign of uh, Gaiva is when we're not careful to not put other people down. 
not putting other people, people who are careful not to put other people down, that is a sign of anava, of humility. Even the way we walk, the Gemara says that the way a person walks, you know, if they make a lot of noise, literally and figuratively, right? They wear like shoes that click, 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 click. You know, that's a metaphor really for the fact that, you know, they want everybody to know I'm coming, you know, like I'm late, I'm coming, I want everybody to know. So, you know, it's a Jewish ideal that we're supposed to come into the world quietly and leave the world quietly. See, I didn't even get it right the first time because, I mean, at the entrance, because my father always used to tell me that the reason I'm so noisy and talk so much is because I was born at dinner time. He remembers. <laughs> he says in the hospital they were clanging all the pots and pans in the kitchen. Don't ask me why he used to tell me that, but I guess in exasperation sometimes he would tell me that. So that's the only reason why I know that I must have been born at about 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon. You too? Yeah, like 4.30. Okay, there you go. So, How's like, the kitchen next to the delivery room? I don't know. Maybe he was coming in through the cafeteria to visit my mother. No idea when they said he, she's here. I don't know, but that was like something he liked to tell me. I'm not sure when it was, when he was, I was favorable or unfavorable. But that was the way it was. I think so, he favored it because he heard all this noise and then he had a Right, exactly, exactly. Can you, can you um, define quiet? You know, anivas. I mean, when, when they describe anivas, it's just, you know, you're not the first person to talk. You're not the first person to, you know, the reason why Haman was called Memuhan, and if you read the Megillah carefully, you'll see that, you know, Ahasuerosh had seven ministers, and Haman was supposed to be the least important. But in the in the Megillah, his name is called Memuhan because Memuhan means he was always ready. He was always ahead of himself. If there were a group of important people, for example, the, the Torah Chazal teach us that if there are people that you are with who are greater in importance, you should be petrified to open right. your mouth. Okay, but somebody who lacks that kind of modesty is not even going to acknowledge that anybody's more important than I am, right? So Anivas is characterized by all kinds of behaviors um, that just put other people first, not in a self-condemnatory right, way, mean, yeah. but in a place of understanding. reality and understanding of who you are and giving other people cover not looking for the cover for yourself. There are so many characteristics of anava. The way you sit, where you sit, whether you'll talk to anybody who's there, or you're going to be very careful about who it is. An anava is somebody who doesn't care about his status. Right? There's stories told of Rebbeim. You know, there's a famous story about a group of rabbis that were visiting the Kotel. And a young new Balchuva happened to be at the Kotel when all these rabbis from America were visiting. And one of the rabbis came over to him and said, would you like to get a bracha from a very important rabbi? And he was very excited and he said, sure, yeah. So he took him over and he got a bracha. Meanwhile, later on in the yeshiva, a few days later, all the boys in the yeshiva were sitting around looking at the latest mishpacha or whatever Jewish magazine that had come out that week, and there was a picture of all these rabbis in front of the kotel. 
and the rabbis were all really excited about one of them. And he, and, and, and he looks over and he says, and they're all saying, you know who that is? That's Rabbi Kamenetsky. That's like, he's the Rosh Hashiva of this Yeshiva. That. He says, oh, he's the one who took me over to this other rabbi <laughs> to ask if I wanted a blessing from a big rabbi. Wow. Wow. Okay? Yeah. So that's just a taste of what we mean by a person having true anava. And he wasn't faking it, as somebody might. He really felt that way about himself. Right? There's another beautiful idea that why is it that the pupil of an eye is called an ishon in Hebrew? Ishon is such a weird word. It's the word ish, which means man. And whenever you put a yud and a nun at the end of a noun, it means smaller. So the question is, why is a pupil of the eye called small man? And Rav Gifter said, it's because when you look into somebody else's eye, you see yourself. You see yourself tiny, mm -hmm. diminished. The humble person, that's how he sees himself all the time. He's always looking at the other person as being greater and himself as being less, small. The usual way that we look at other people is that I'm big and you're little. I'm the one that's on top. But the humble person sees his reflection, so to speak, and understands the reality of the fact that true honor is giving honor to other people, right? The one who runs away from honor is the one who is honored because he's so busy honoring the Tzalem Elohim, the image of God in every other human being that he sees so clearly because he's developed himself to that degree. Okay, okay, we're going to just finish at 9.30. So the way you sit... You'll talk to anyone at the table. You'll go to a simcha and sit at a table with people that you wonder why they put you there. Like, I don't understand. My whole street is sitting at that table. You know, or all my friends are over there and I'm here with, I don't know who these people are. You know? And like, are you going to spend the whole simcha sitting on your friend's chair next to her going, I don't know why they put me at that table. I mean, why would they put me with those people? They're all like over 80. You know, whatever it is, they're all ugly. I mean, why am I at that table? I'm beautiful. You know, whatever it is, the point is, is that, you know, that's an Anna. They don't even notice, right? So she tells a story about Rav Lau, who was the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. And she says she was once somewhere, and you could see that people were very intimidated to go over to him and talk to him. But she said, but while she was standing quite close to him, she couldn't believe it. But one of the waitresses at this affair, you know, went over to Rav Lau and asked him for a bracha. And she watched how he treated her with such incredible dignity. And she said, you know, to her that was the idea of Anivas, the idea that I'm not exclusive. I, I, I don't only speak to people on my level. I don't care about my status. So being socially inclusive facilitates another. Being socially exclusive is the opposite, is gaiva. An anav is able to handle offenses without getting defensive. Back to hapada, okay? They don't get defensive. They don't need to answer back or have the last word. Like Kathy over here. They don't need to put the other person down. It's a sign of true anava. In, in the, in the, in the Gemara of Shabbos, Pei Ches, it says that someone who's offended but doesn't respond 
and we talked about this in Hakpada, for anybody who was with me, if we even got to it, the sun rises because of them. There's a Pasuk that says the sun in its strength is because of those people who are insulted, who are offended, but they don't feel the need to respond. Rather, they're feeling nebuch, that you have to make that comment. Nebuch, that you are so angry or had such a bad day that you have to let it out on me, right? Because they have enough sense of self, they're secure about themselves, and they're humble enough to be able to see the other person because they've made themselves small. And they recognize it's not me that they're upset with. It's their own stuff that they're upset with. So they use me as a punching bag because that makes them feel better momentarily. Okay, I'm glad I could help them. I'm glad I could do that chesed for them. You know? Let them punch me. Better they punch me than somebody else. And they lose their job. Or they, right? Or somebody isn't as forgiving as I am. And they take revenge. So she says that with her own children, she had two young children who are older now, uh, an older one who was always picking on the younger one, and she made a star chart, and she wrote on the top of it that pasuk, right, that the one who doesn't respond is like the sun that rises in its zenith, and whoever didn't answer back or punch back or do anything back, that's how they got a star. And she said it worked for a while. Anyway, now they're growing up. They don't do this anymore. Okay. Another teaches you that I am not moved by outside input. We don't care what they're thinking. Again, we're going back to, it's not what is he thinking about me? What does he think about me? What does he say about me? It's what does Hashem say about me? And that's how you begin to get your self-control. I don't care what you say about me. Okay, you can have your opinion, but it's wrong because... You're not a happy person. You're not in a good place. You need to use me as a punching bag. All I care about is how I measure up with the God who knows me better than anyone else. I'm trying my best. I'm doing what I can do with the set of kochos that I have. And the only one I have to prove that to is Hashem, right? When we're in some kind of situation where the person is just not functioning properly. The Anav tries to walk away from Kavo, tries to minimize it in some way. Don't he, he, They're not so interested in the compliments that people are giving them. Sure, they'll take a compliment, but they're not sucking it in like a sponge. They're trying to play it down a little bit because they already know. They already know they have that talent. They already know they have that positive quality because a, a person who seeks wisdom already knows, like that exercise we did, they know their strengths and their weaknesses. Nobody's telling them something new, not when they criticize them and not when they compliment them because they've already been ferreting out their own sense of who they are, the good and the bad, the ugly. So nothing makes them move out of that hishta'avut, that, that, that sense of balance, that place of knowing their own self-worth, that ultimately comes from God and comes from the fact that I am not responsible. To the degree that I need to work on things, I'm responsible. But ultimately, I'm a work in progress. And if someone points out good or bad about me, I already know because I've lived long enough. I've had enough teachers write on my report card, very good with the written word or whatever it is, or does numbers faster than anybody else in the class, that I have a certain sense of, you know, star in the play, you know, no doing scenery, 
you know, or no, they're in charge of the lights, whatever it is. I already have a sense of where I am, you know, unless, of course, I have some tremendous hidden talent that was never discovered, and I really should be on the center of the stage. Um, okay, uh, I guess we're going to end in one second. I just want to tell you one other idea because it's so good. Um, so a person who has gaiva li likes to give a, a compliment, but the way to work on a nava is since you know how much you like a compliment, start giving them to others. Use your love of gaiva for other people to give others a good feeling. Use your own understanding of what makes you feel good and sublimate it and use it for others. So she says, let's say a girl who loves shopping. She's always at Yorkdale. She loves shopping. So she takes that love of shopping and she'll start a gamach to help kalas who don't have money find suitable clothing for their for their sheva brachas. Or somebody who loves makeup and they're always busy with their face and playing with makeup. So she'll elevate it to help girls look good when they go out on dates, right? For no money, for no pay. We know what makes us feel good. Use it for other people. Make your awareness good for others. Not in a manipulative way, not in a flattering way, but just to make other people feel good. And I just have to tell you this because this was so incredible. So she just talks about, you know, if you have an embarrassing moment or an awkward moment, very often that moves us out of our our hishta'avut, right? You slipped and fell. And, you know, what do people do when they slip and fall? They always look behind them like as if something caused it, right? And they find that it was nothing. It was just, they were just, they just slipped and fell. There was no banana peel. There was no crack in the sidewalk that was raised up. You just simply slipped and fell and you're an idiot. No, you're not an idiot, but you're awkward. It just, you know, but you wish you could blame it on something or someone, but no, it's just, and your whole, the, first, the next thing you do is, did anybody see that? <laughs> you know, I hope there was no one here. You know, hopefully it's not the person who's coming late on purpose and then they flip into the room, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, so the point is, is why do we do that? Because it moves us out of our sense of self-esteem, self-worth, when something happens like that. And people without a good sense of hishta'avut are going to have a very hard time sort of recovering. And I, you gotta believe, you can't believe this story, but I was at my daughter's house this week, and my, son, my grandson had a birthday party, and a few kids were over, and one of the fathers came to pick up one of the kids to take him to hockey. And I was just sitting there, you know, watching this and that. And after this father left, my son-in-law says to me, you see that guy, the father? He said, he has not been on the ice rink since he was 17. Let's say he's about 35, 30 now, right? I thought like, so what? What do I care? <laughs> I mean, who cares? He's taking his kid to go play ice hockey. He says, no. I mean, he says, when he was... uh when he was a young guy, when he was 17, he was such an incredible hockey player that he was chosen to try out for the OHL, whatever that is. I guess that's under the NHL, right? And he didn't make it. And since then, he could never get back on the ice again. Oh, my God. But at least he has his, his kids. Okay, but still, he could never get back on the ice again. Now, that's somebody who was so moved out of their sense of self and never recuperated, right? 
Or I don't know if you know this Harry Chapin song, whatever, I know every word. But there's a song about this Mr. Tanner was a cleaner in the town of, in the Midwest. And of all that, whatever. I could recite you the whole thing, but we don't have time. But the story is about a guy who was a cleaner. And while he would iron the clothes, he would sing. And people would hear him singing in his shop. And he had this most incredibly beautiful baritone voice. And, you know, his friends started working on him, saying, you know, you're really amazing. You should really try, quit your day job, you know. You should really try music full time. You're a talent that the world needs to hear. And, this, you know, it's a Harry Chapin song, so it's a story song. And, you know, he goes on, he, he competes in some kind of festival. And, base, and then he ends up in New York, and he's going to be on stage at some big place. And basically the critics come out all heaping all kinds of criticism, you know, he's really not that good, his voice doesn't carry, he this and that and this and that. And the the end of the song is Mr. Tanner never sang again, except for very late at night when the shop was dark and closed. He sang softly to himself as he sorted through the clothes. Right? Mr. Tanner never sang again. And you know, it just reminded me of this hockey father and this idea that, you know, God forbid that a person should be thrown so off, right, that they never pick up the ball again, even though it's something that gave them such joy, right? But obviously it was tied to something else in this man's case, a certain sense of maybe gaiva, a certain sense of not enjoying what you have for the simple sake of enjoying it. You know, needing other people's approval. Whatever it is, I'm not, not going to... Not putting your ego into it. Not putting your ego into it. Well, if you're not going to have me, then I'm never doing this again. It only hurts himself, doesn't hurt other people. Of course. You know, I have, uh, I have a story of, of a family member, I think in grade six or seven, the coach of the team was... Or the coach in who also taught science was teaching what the word obesity means, okay? And he said, if you want to know what obesity is, look at this kid, right? Now, this kid was by no means obese. He was a little overweight. But because of that, for the rest of this person's life, right, they were obsessed with being slim, being skinny, right? To the point that when they go jogging, they wear garbage bags to be able to sweat, like totally extreme. So let's say they already had an extreme personality, right? But something, an event like that for a kid who's sensitive or extreme already can tip them completely to the other side mm -hmm. unless they have this ability and this tool of Ishta'avut that helps you to get back on the ice, get back on the horse, get back in the playing field. Anyway, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for coming out and listening. And I hope that all of us, while we're cleaning for Pesach, of course, we're working on our character traits because that's what true freedom is. True freedom is being a master over ourselves, being a master over our responses, being able to find the center, to be able to not look around us and worry about what everybody else is thinking, but to look up and ask, what is he thinking? Why is he doing this to me? And try to be people who are dedicated to knowing ourselves, the good and the bad, embracing all of it, not blowing either parts of any parts of ourselves out of proportion, 
and recognizing that we all have exactly what we need to be able to fulfill our mission in this world. So have a Chag Kashi V'Sameach, and thank you for listening. Thank you so much. 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 Thank you so much.